0: Oh, well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Eh. Good, morning. Eh. Good, morning. Good, morning. good morning. There we go. Now, now, I, know, now I know you're <laughs> awake and everything. Um, and I'm really excited about the next couple of weeks um, with this new series and, and what we're going to be talking about. Because I love that video, and I think I've shown that video probably once before. But it's true that life is a journey. Um, it, it is that is, is up and down roads, it, it is um, around curves and everything. We don't always know what's coming. Some days it's really smooth, some days it's just really rough and everything. But it is a journey that we keep going. But the truth is, is that journey has an end point for every single one of us. And I know it's something that we don't like to talk about, that someday life is going to be over. And stuff, and even the Bible says that for every man, it's appointed once to die, then the judgment. And so, there, there's an appointed time when life um, life ends for a- every one of us. And in fact, scientifically, it's been proven one out of one die. So every, I mean, I just want you to know, you want to get like the facts about it. But I mean, and it's some, I know it's not something we, we like to talk about it. Um, we don't always like to think about. It. My wife and I have like arguments about who's going to go first. And, and everything I said, it, it's going to be me. <laughs> it's going because I won't dress myself if you're not around. So you, it's <laughs> got to be me. So, but but we we don't and and <coughs> but it's something I think we need to talk about because because of my profession because of what I do as a pastor of the years I, I've been to and officiated over a lot of funerals. You know, it's 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 not the favorite thing that I do, but it's something that I have to do. And a lot of times people will just call and they'll say, hey, you know, my grandparent or my mom or somebody passed away. We don't have a pastor. We come do um, the funeral and I don't know them or anything. And I'll just I'll go because I feel that's part of my calling. That's part of what I'm supposed to do. But it's really interesting as a as I prepare for that. And I, and I do that. I always sit down with the family. And, and I want to hear stories and I want to hear about life and, and everything. And, and there's really only two types of stories that I get. More times than not, I sit down with a family and I just ask them, says, Well, you know, tell me something about like your grandma or your grandpa or your mom and, and stuff. G- give me a story about them, you know, cause let, let's make, so I understand who they were. And a lot of times, most of the times, the room is just silent. And it just kind of, then finally someone says, Oh, they like the Gators. You know, they like college football and like, "Oh, oh yeah," and stuff, and and, and then that's it. On the other hand, there are those rare moments where I get to meet a family and I'm sitting there and and trying to minister through them through this time and and I'm talking to them. I'm like, well, tell me some stories and immediately they're going like, I remember, I remember they taught me how, you know, they taught me how to fish. They, They taught me, they taught me how, like what integrity was about. I remember it was always a blessing. There was always a smile on their face and there was so much joy in their heart and it just flows and flows and flows and you see it in them. And those are two totally different scenarios. The sad thing is more times than not, it's usually the first scenario. And, and so the idea is with this whole series about outla- outlasting and stuff is what do we pass on? What, are the, what, what lives beyond our life? What goes on beyond us? I, I want you to just think for a moment. Over 2,000 years ago, a group of men got together and they formed a thing called the church. Over 2,000 years ago, guys that weren't, weren't super educated, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were kind of the nobodies of society, and they started this movement, they started the church, and today, literally millions of people all over this planet are gathering to worship God in church. <coughs> That's a legacy. That's something that outlasted, outlived their lives, and so, so how do we do that? How do we have that in our own lives? And that's really what I want to talk about. Woodrow Wilson, one of our presidents, says, You are not here merely to make a living. You are here to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world. You impoverish yourself if you forget this errand. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to talk about this idea, like, what am I leaving behind? What are the stories? What are the values? What are the things that are really important, that are really going to last, or that outlast me in in my life? And and so to start with this morning, I want to talk about the idea of being ready. Having being choosing readiness over happiness. Because I think we've become a culture that chooses happiness all the time. And we're not choosing readiness. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 112. If you don't have a Bible, um, just pop your hand up. We have them available for you. If you don't own a Bible or you don't have one around anywhere, take one of those. That's our gift to you. Put your name in it and stuff. If you like your electronic devices, you can sign into our Wi-Fi. It says GBC Guest. Just type in FIND MORE, all one word, all lower caps, and you can follow along there. (coughs) Excuse me. But this morning. As I always say, and as of every Sunday, the only words that matter are these words. This is the only authority that I have to speak or us to gather as a church is these words. And so out of respect and out of acknowledgement of these words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me as we open up and we read. In Psalm 112, starting at verse 1, the psalmist writes, he says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Let's pray. God, I just thank you this morning. thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people father we have lost the idea of passing things on god we've lost the idea of what a legacy actually looks like and what it means so father i pray this morning that you would speak god that you would challenge god that you God, that you would reveal your plan and God, we would be moved. Let it be your words and not mine. Hide me. God, we also pray for ears to hear and hearts to respond. God, whatever's going on in our lives, Father, that you will just quiet us and quiet those voices and those other noises and that we would just hear from you this morning. God, and we would be different because we were here. Father, thank you. For being here God thank you for moving in our midst God we just pray that you have your way and may you get all the glory we pray it all in Jesus name amen you may be seated so this idea of outlasting ourselves You know the other word is legacy and we don't really talk a lot about that word legacy more in fact I I looked it up a legacy is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past you know uh, most of us um, today we think of legacy as some kind of like inheritance but I'm talking about something more than just money more than just property and something, something that has eternal value, something that carries on throughout. And, and, and we are called to be people that pass it on. We are called to, to impart our values, to impart our faith, to impart all this stuff, all that we've grown to the next generation God, in hopes that they will do more or do even better. And, and, so, and, and so that's really what I want to talk about um, And see, how do we do this? Back in Psalm 112, just listen to this again. It says, Praise the Lord, blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. I love that it starts with the first place a legacy starts is a relationship with our Creator. The man who fears the Lord, who knows him, who delights in his commandments, that's obeying him, it starts there. And then it goes on, (coughs) verse 2, his offspring, his children, will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And then wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. I, I love that. And-, and we look at like, wealth and riches and says, okay, so if I follow God, I'm going to have a big house. And says, That's a different kind of wealth. Listen, I know multimillionaires that are miserable because they don't know Jesus There is a wealth in our faith that we can pass on and and the righteousness endures forever. It says in verse 4, light dawns in darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. I mean, think about that for a minute. How, How would you like to be a person that is remembered forever? But... It, it only happens when we pass it on. And so, so there's an issue in our culture today, and, and most sociologists call it, it's called the challenge of the third generation. And, and we see what's going on here. See, because here's what happens. In the first generation, there's strong leadership. In the first generation, there's vision, and, and they build something, and, 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 and they, they, they create something, and, and there's, a lot, there's a lot of work, and, and they, it, it's, it's awesome. As a matter of fact, you being here this morning, by the way, you're the first generation of Grace Baptist. You're the first generation of this church. And so together we're building it and we're trying to create something that's going to last and a thing. And so that's where the first generation comes in. And, and then after that, you have the second generation. And what happens to them is they inherit what was here. They didn't earn it, they just inherit it. And so they look at it and all they do is they start to try to preserve it. They just want, let's keep the status quo. Let, let's keep it going just in the same direction and everything will be good and just preserve it. And then finally the third generation comes up and all they've ever seen is people preserve it and so they don't care. They don't see any purpose for it and so there's no vision and you see things declining in that. Listen, if you're sitting there going, like, if that doesn't make sense, I, w- I want you to think about the church today in North America there was a generation that rose up that built the church, and they like, man, we're going to plant churches and we're going to do missions, and we're passionate about it and we're going to do that." And then the next generation came up and says, "Well, we're just going to keep it the way it is. This is the way we've always done it, so let's just keep it this way." And also in the third generation which we're in now, you see people saying, "What's the point?" See, you, you, you go in places like Great Britain. And they're in the fourth generation. Literally, they're in a generation that's never heard the name Jesus before. A few few weeks ago, we had a missionary come in here to talk about him planting churches in Wales. I'm going to invite him back because I, I want everyone to hear from this guy. And, and just the, this, the, in Wales, this place where the greatest revival history has ever recorded happened. It spread from there to our country. I mean, it was amazing and stuff. In just a few generations, it, it's like it never existed and never happened. Th- this is what happens in this generational problem when we don't, we don't pass on. In fact, it, it's, even, it's even in the Bible. I mean, remember Joshua? Look at Joshua's Judges. Joshua started with Moses. Moses poured himself into him and invested in him. And Joshua enters the promised land, they have great battles and great victories. They knock the walls, the Jericho walls fall down, and they, they conquer the land, and they take it all over. And then right after Joshua gets in, they all get settled, that next generation kind of shows up, and they're like, well, we're just going to protect what we have. And their worship is kind of half-hearted. And it's just like, well, you know, we're here now. This is it. And then finally, that last generation at the end of Judges has turned from God. And there's no semblance of that. In fact, that's what it says in Judges. At the end of Judges, Judges 21:25. it says, And in those days there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? See, this is why this is so, so important for us. That, that we, we have to sit there and go, we have to say, we're, we're going to be passing it on. We, we we have to say like this is this is what God wants us to do and this is how it goes on from in fact in the early days the Bible before it was written it was passed on by story they sat down and they told the stories and they shared their faith and they passed it on and, and it kept going and, and you look at like and. In Psalm 112, it talks about, like, the man is blessed. He knows his creator. He's serving him. He's obeying him. He's doing all this stuff, and he's blessed because of it. And then his offspring, man, then the wealth and stuff comes, and, 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 and God, is, God is blessing, and his hand of favor is upon him, and, and his house is growing, and, and faith is going on. And then finally, at the very end, in verse 6, it says, and then he's remembered. All because someone said, I'm going to pass this on. Not just, not just my bank account, not just my house, but I'm, I'm going to pass on the things that actually really matters. And so this series for us, as we're just kind of overviewing, getting into it, it is for parents. It is for parents. If you have kids, it, it's, it's for parents, but it's, actually, it's for every single person in this building right now. See, if you're here right now, you're a leader. I, I believe that every person leads somebody. Everybody has influence on somebody, and you're a leader in here, and you have great potential to do great, and so it's for all of us. And not just for that, it's for every follower of Christ because this is how our faith is going to outlast us. This is how this church will outlast any of us ever being around. This is how this community will change. This is how our, our, our homes will change. This is everything. If we take the time and say, listen, I've got to pass this on. And it's not always easy. And it takes a lot of work, but it's so worth it. I, I, just, I, I feel so blessed in my family just looking back and seeing the generations of Christ followers in my family, the pastors and the deacons and all those people. And, and then to see my children right now going on and, and serving God in ministry and, and chasing after him. And I, I, I can tell you, there were moments, my wife and I talked about this last night. There were moments we sat there and said, I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't think they were going to make it. <laughs> I, I might have killed two of them out of two. <laughs> there were times where we weren't sure. But, but if we were faithful and we did what God does and we kept passing on, it, it, it happens that way. But, but I, I think the issue that we're we're facing more than anything is that we become a society that's choosing happiness over readiness. That that we're not only we not only taught this generation that happiness is the key, that we model that happiness is key. And and and, and, I, and I want you I want you to I want you to hear this because I think the, the whole theme of this morning is we need to start worrying less about happiness today. You know, we, we have to stop worrying more about, like, that makes me happy, and if I buy that, or I have this job, or I have those clothes, or I have these friends, or I have that phone, or that TV, or, or that boat, or whatever it is, if I just go out and get it, then, then I'll, I'll just be happy. Because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is always based upon circumstances. It's never based on the reality. What is it? It goes and it comes. And I think we need to start focusing more on tomorrow's readiness, You see, I I think as a culture, we have started to bow down at the altar of happiness. We get so worried about these little things, like do they have the right clothes? Do they have the right things? Do they have the right stuff? Do do I have the right stuff? And and if you don't believe me, just look around. Why are so many of us in debt? (laughs) Why are there so many broken families? Because we're choosing happiness. We get so worried about all this stuff. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right kind of in the middle towards the end of it. He kind of puts this out in verse 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We get so focused on what's going on right now. And I'm not saying I know. Listen, I understand what it feels like to wonder if like you can pay rent this month. Or if you have enough money to buy some groceries. I I understand that. I have experienced that. We, We continue to experience that. But the truth is, is we have a father, we have a God that made us and knows everything that we need and says, stop worrying about all this little stuff. But God, I I need a great retirement fund. I need a huge retirement fund so I can just sit on a beach someday. Show me in the Bible where it says then one day thou shalt retire and sit on a beach. (laughs) It's not in here. In a couple weeks, I get the privilege of speaking at the church that I kind of grew up in. It's their homecoming um back, a little tiny crossroads baptist church it's my mom's church and a couple of weeks i get to go and preach there and talk about like all this great things that have happened but the problem is is we get so stuck in what's happened we forget about what god is moving us to we get we get so focused on like well you know if i have enough money a big enough bank account or if i have the right car or if i have this or you know the right phone and you know iphone 8's coming out oh my gosh I have to have it. You know, I'm going to stand in line for hours, you know. I mean, I'm going to stand in line and be in a, and be in a tent to sit at Chick-fil-A because maybe I can get a, a year's worth of full of Chick-fil-A. Now, that may be worth, worth it. It, it's it spiritual. is It is Christian chicken. I'm, I'm still doing a Bible study the entire series on how chicken makes you holy. So, <laughs> but... But I mean, it's all we 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 get so worried about this. See, see, the problem is happiness cannot be our end goal. Our end goal for us and for our children, for the next generation, is that they should be generous, compassionate, and righteous people. That should be the end goal. And if you're following that, it's not always going to make you happy. Listen, if you go to church and they say, listen, you just trust Jesus and follow him and your life's just going to be rosy. You grab a bigger Bible than this and you throw it at that idiot (laughs) because it's not true. It's hard. Listen, I understand. I mean, for someone that's like loves evangelism, says you need to follow Jesus. This is not a high selling part. Like Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your instrument of death to self and follow me. And so it's not going to be easy. It's not the easiest road. But I'm telling you, a generation that is full of compassion, that is generous and righteous, will change everything. And we have got to be passing this on. Because it's the only thing that's going to outlive us. But there are challenges. As I, as I said, we, we, um, we have got locked into this idea of the altar of happiness as long as, long as everyone's happy. And the problem is, is we, we don't only model it, we, we've taught our kids that. And so there are three challenges, I think, for our generation. The three biggest challenges is the first one is I think we risk too little. And how many of you remember, old enough to remember when you were a kid that you just went outside, climbed trees, ran through the neighborhood, and when the sun went down, you, you, just, you went home. I mean, back in the day, the only seatbelt back when I was a kid was mom's arm. <laughs> that was the seatbelt. Airbag was grandma because we know, like, as you get older, you get a little bit. You know, I know I'm not going any <laughs> But that was it. And, and we, we were kind of, we were kind of like just, man, we just did crazy stuff. We, we, I remember we had a lot next to us, and we dug an underground fort with like a tarp. And dirt on top of it, any moment this thing could be caving in. We thought, this is the coolest thing in the world. This will be awesome. This is great. Next day I woke up and there was a tractor sideways in it saying, whoops, we should have filled that in. <laughs> but we, I, I'm not saying all these safety measures are bad, but I think we, we have taught our kids, we have taught this generation that risk is something you shouldn't do. That's why professors are frustrated in the school. Says I can't even get kids to fill out resumes because they're afraid they're not going to get the job they want. Can I tell you something? Well, some of the best thing for us is to fail, and be rejected, because it makes us stronger. And so, we 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 risk we risk too little. You know, we 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 overprotect, and, and it doesn't stop. Then and so Not not only that, when we do risk too little, we rescue too quickly. Listen, when I was a kid, if I went outside, if I went to school without lunch money. Mama was not going to leave house and say, whoa, son, here, I made you some lunch and stuff. You went hungry. You didn't show up for dinner. My dad would sit there and say, like, you're late for dinner. You can have breakfast in the morning. We'll see you later. I mean, you sh- you, I mean but no, no, today, man, it's just like if, if the kid gets in trouble in school. Listen, I know a lot of teachers because of my wife and, and everything. And how many times is like your kid does something stupid in school and you're immediately at the teacher? It's not his fault. It's not his fault and everything. I just got to tell you something. When I started in ministry, first, first place I worked at was this little tiny church, smaller than this, um, in like a ghetto neighborhood. And, and the church, like, we want you to be our youth pastor. We can't pay you. <laughs> so, so things haven't changed. I'm um, <laughs> just kidding, kidding. We are working on a budget. Um, but, but um, And so they paid for me to go to school. And, everything. and so I got to continue to go to school And so I started working I said well I gotta get another job I gotta pay rent and all this stuff So, so I got a job And I was the only male worker At a Christian daycare All these little old ladies and me Like this 19 year old 6 foot tall kid That's how they threaten their kids They're were like we're gonna send you Mr. Tony And they're like ah, you know," Because I was the only guy I remember one summer They said Tony will you do a summer program for us And so if you like youth ministry I'm like yeah but these are like 6 year olds <laughs> Different But I did it anyway <laughs> and, and I mean, it was a great program we had a lot of fun but there was one kid man there was one kid that was just a holy terror he was just oh my gosh this kid was just i mean like i was like getting holy water saying there's a devil in you this this kid was bad and then one day i just had enough and he was just being mean to everyone so i took i took masking tape and i made like a like a three by three by three square you know just a nice little square i put tape on the ground and i said this is now your space for the rest of the day, you can't be nice to anybody. You don't want to share with anybody, and so you don't want to play with anybody, so I'm giving you your own space. You stay here. And I put them in that square and walked out and finished the day. Two days later, I get a call from the principal. Um, so-and-so's mom's here, <laughs> and she wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, I knew that was coming. I'm about to lose my job. So I go down there, and, and I sit there, and she just looks at me, and she just, dies and says it's not his fault. You know, he's gotta take this pill and that pill and this medicine and all stuff. And it's not his fault he acts that way and that he does all say it's not his fault and that's just as unfair. And I just kinda had enough and I was young and kinda stupid and cocky. I said, Well ma'am listen, I love your son. When he's good he is great. I mean he is an awesome kid. He's so talented. In the school, we love your kid and everything. And so it's not our fault. And if it's not his fault, well that only leaves one person. She got up, walked out of the room. I was like, I think I just lost my job. The principal nudged me and says, I've been wanting to say that for years. <laughs> <laughs> See, we rescue too quickly. Let them fail. Man, if, if you feel God tugging you, we talk for weeks about God's direction and leading us and, <coughs> and everything. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm getting really excited. <coughs> but if you feel God's tug, and God just pulling you somewhere like, oh, I'm afraid if I do that. Listen, go and try it. If we're not doing some ministry and you say, God, I really think we need this ministry, I'm going to say, go do it. And if you fail, okay. We just have to stop rescuing too quickly. Thank you. Yeah. And then finally, finally, the third biggest challenge is we reward too frequently. This is what I call everybody gets a trophy. Listen, when I was a kid, you won the game, you got a trophy. If you didn't win the game, it's like, good game, maybe next year. We, we have taught this generation that everyone's a winner. And I'm sorry, they're not. That would be awful. Could you imagine, like, sitting there watching the Super Bowl and just like, well, it's a tie, they all win. Give me my money back. That was horrible. No. We, we have to stop rewarding too frequently. We, we have to stop. Listen, listen. if your kid turns 16, does not mean they deserve a brand new car. Listen, my daughter, she, she turned like 16, 17. We're like, we're going to help you buy a car. I bought her a clunker. I was like, you need to learn to change oil. And after like two cars that she blew the trans, blew the engine because she didn't oil, she knows now. <laughs> she's got a car, bought it herself, and she's like, I check the oil every day. I'm like, that's a good girl. <laughs> See, they, they don't need, listen, I didn't have a cell phone till I was 30 years old. Of course, they didn't really come out till then, either. <laughs> but I really, I really didn't. I mean, I did I mean, you sit here with, like, these kids. I got, I got, like, seven-year-olds come up to me, like, look at my new iPhone. I'm like, what is that? Listen, you want to buy your kid a phone and they're young? Get that one with four buttons. Call mom, call dad, call the hospital, call the police. <laughs> Stop rewarding too frequently. Stop, stop giving, we, we've got to teach this next generation that it takes hard work and we have to earn these things. But again, the problem is, is that happiness has become the goal. <coughs> happiness has become the goal. And we, we give this generation, the millennials and all this stuff, we give them such a hard time. But can I tell you something? We modeled it for them. We're the ones that said, I really can't afford that, but I really want that. It'll make me happy, so I'll go in debt for it. We're, we're the ones that said, you know, I made a commitment to be married for better or worse for the rest of my life. But, you know, things are kind of hard, and so I'm just going to get me a new one. See, see we, we've, we've, we've modeled it on. See, the goal really should be, if you really want to live a life that outlasts yourself, it should be pleasing God because in the end that's the only thing that matters that's the only thing that's going to last listen my only goal for my life is very very simple i want to hear my father say well done good and faithful servant that's the only praise i need that's the only that's the only assurance that i need that my life was worth it when i hear well done and so if i'm more concerned about pleasing god and that's my goal then you know what i don't care if people don't like that, I share the gospel. I don't care if people think that I should have a better house or a bigger car or any of this stuff. I don't care because my goal is to please God. If I please Him and I seek Him first, is that what that verse says? Seek you first, the kingdom of God, then all this other stuff will come at it. When I make God my goal, when I make my faith my goal, when I make passing it on my goal, everything else, everything else comes in perspective. See, we need to impart real values. I love I love kids' ministry. It is. Angels in heaven is like, Tony, shut up. What's the kid doing? I love it. I love it. I know. I know. I know. Need anybody else? The angels are like, hush, hush, there's a kid in the room. Watch him. That's awesome. Look at that. No, listen, we, we need to pass it on. We need to impart real values. Listen, I, I, I believe from all my heart, it, it's good to leave an inheritance for your kids. Leave something to help them and stuff. Don't, don't put all your funeral costs on them. You know, get some life insurance. Do something, and don't be a burden to them. But more than any amount of money or any piece of property could be is the values that God has placed in us that we need to impart. Look, look at this. Look in Psalm 112, back of Psalm 112, verse 4. I love this. It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, he is merciful, and he is righteous. And those words can be translated very simply. He is gracious, he's generous. Could you imagine if we become generous people? If we say, God, your kingdom is more important than what what my kingdom is? God, and I want to invest in things, and I want to pour my resources and my finances and my life and this stuff and I want to be generous could you imagine what would happen if that's passed on to the next generation if they become generous people like I said these millennials they get a hard time but there is no more cause driven generation this world has seen in thousands of years this generation will literally change the world with or without our help the only problem is, is there's a lot of things that they're trying to change the world with that have no biblical or lasting eternal value. And so we get a chance to come in and teach them to be pass on these values of being generous. Being generous with your funds. Being generous with your resources. Being generous with your time. And then also merciful. Or being compassionate. How many times have you read in the New Testament in the Gospels where Jesus is walking along and he felt compassion for the people and he stopped. Could you imagine if this world became a more compassionate place? If we stopped looking at skin color, if we stopped looking at ideology, and we started looking at people the way God looks at them, and loving them in the name of Jesus, and sharing the gospel no matter what it costs, and going wherever we need to go to help the needy to do that, to lift people up? Could you imagine if we model that and this next generation catches the idea of compassion? Compassion. It'll change everything. Wars will end. Atrocities will end. All those things that we're so upset about will end because compassion is there. And then finally, the thing that ties it all together is righteousness. Being right with God. We have a generation that's running away. What would happen if they ran towards God? What if the generosity was based in their faith? What if their compassion was based in their faith? Because they're right with God and righteousness. Those are real values. Those are the things that we pass on, and we pass those on by modeling them. You cannot sit there and tell your kids, listen, you need to be generous, and you're not generous. You need to be compassionate, and then you say some kind of comment because you see some news channel about about Muslim terrorists and stuff and how much you hate them. That's not compassion. That has nothing to do with what's in here. We model righteousness. We model all this stuff for them and we pass it on when they see it lived out in us. We see it when we sit there and we look at our budgets and we plan there and we say the very top line of our budget is tithing. I'm going to give back. I'm going to trust God with my finances and I'm going to do that and and I'm going to tithe. And stuff, and our kids see that, and they do that. They see that. They see the compassion. When you cross the street to a neighbor that you don't know, and you introduce yourself, and you share the gospel, and you, and you figure, how can I serve them? How can I bless them? How can I help them? They see it in righteousness. When your life is filled with integrity, they see it when it's lived out in you. And that's how we pass it on, and that's how we outlast everything. It's not, I think it's our call, and it's our command to prepare the next generation, everyone in here, I love that we have a group of kids back there. And my challenge to all of our leaders, uh, I love that they come back in anytime. See, you're welcome. You come in. I love it. I love that kids feel comfortable to do that and stuff because our goal and my challenge to all of our children's ministry leaders is we don't teach Bible stories. We teach biblical truth. And listen, a five-year-old, I got saved when I was five years old. So don't ever tell me that little kids, we just need to like, kind of keep them straight and keep them quiet and all this stuff let them make noise let them hear about jesus let them see worship i think we all are part of this i love that we have a youth ministry i'm so proud of our young adults that have taken on our youth ministry and just hearing their passion like hey we think we can grow this thing and we can do stuff and we can reach the we can help students reach their friends and all this stuff i love that we make space for that and so it's all of our job it's not you don't have to be a parent to do this In fact, one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses is in Psalms. It says, Lord, even when I'm old and gray, don't forsake me. Give me the power. Give me the words to pass on your faith, your your power to the next generation. You don't have to be a parent to do this. Every single one of us. Listen, if you're not investing in somebody that's younger than you, then I'm telling you, flat out, you're in disobedience. There are young mothers out there that are struggling that we can walk alongside it. And you, who all your kids are grown, you can walk alongside them. There are young men saying, I don't understand what it actually means to be a man, that men can walk alongside. There are teenagers that roam these streets that we can be invested in. There are children that we can love on and teach them about the love of God at an early age and see them transform him. And so you don't have to be a parent. It's all of us in this. If we actually want to outlast, if we actually want to live beyond our lives, we have to prepare the next generation. And so over the next couple of weeks, here's what we're going to do. First of all, next week, we're going to talk about creating wealth to use for God's glory. Now, I understand, like, some people, that wealth thing, they look at it and says, well, Christians shouldn't be wealthy. I want you to just think about that statement for a moment. Listen, if, 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 if the church has no money, then there's no money to, like, p- promote and do the things for God's glory and God's kingdom and everything, which means the other side has all the money. And so I believe God blesses so that we can bless other people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being wealthy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think there's a way that we use it for God's glory. See, the problem is, the problem is, is usually in our culture is we love money and we use people. I'm telling you, we're going to be a church that is going to love people and use money. And so next week we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about debt and how do we move towards a debt-free life and a life that's a blessing. And everything there's a gentleman in Tampa. I love him. he's a great business owner, great business leader. He created a giant corporation and he sat down. And he figured out he says, This is how much I need to live on. He owns a multi million dollar corporation. He says, Listen, we can live on about $70,000 a year, that pays all our bills. We can take some vacations, I can have emergency funding. We can live on that. <clears throat> everything else I give away. Multi millionaire. <laughs> And so we can do, God, I think God will bless us and say, listen, I can use the resources that God has given me to further his kingdom for his glory. But it's got to be a heart thing. That's why we don't pass an offering plate. I don't want anyone ever to feel obligated to give an offering here. I want you to do it in response, saying, God, I trust you. And that I'm, I'm going to tell you, you want to you test your faith and how much you trust God, look at your bank account and see where you're spending your money. And so that's next week. The following week, we're going to talk about creating a hunger for first-generation faith. And and all that means is that all of us have our own stories. (coughs) We have our faith stories. We remember a time where God answered prayer or God moved in some mighty way in our own lives. And what we want to do is we want to create atmospheres and opportunities for the next generation to have those same stories, to have their own stories. This past Wednesday night, we met, the young adults met at my house for the first time, and I love that I get a chance to sit there on Wednesday nights from like 8.30, 9 o'clock till, I don't know, it was like 10.30 when we were finally done, and just talk, but one of the things we talked about is owning your own faith. Listen, your kids aren't gonna follow Jesus. This next generation isn't gonna follow Jesus because you do. They have to make it their own, and so we wanna create a hunger for first-generation faith, for, like, I have my stories of what God has done. I, I love sitting down and talking to my daughter, who's up in North Carolina. She calls almost every single day. It's like she hasn't left. Um, it's beautiful, but I, I hear these stories like, yeah, we did this, and God moved in this way. And I'm hearing first-generation faith, and my prayer is like, God, may she pass that on to her children one day. But We have to do that. And then, and then finally, we're, we're going to wrap it all up. With this idea of cultivating an internal drive and an external passion. And all that is, really simply, is understanding and experiencing the power of God within the local church. and Inside these walls. Experiencing that. Having generation after generation, all of us experiencing how great and how mighty, how awesome God is. I say it almost every week. It makes no sense to me to go to church and not be changed. You know, in, in my Bible, there are two instances that show very clearly when we come in God's presence. Isaiah, where he comes up to God, and he's in God's presence, he says, well, unto me, I am, a man of, I am a man of dirty lips, in a land of dirty lips, I, I'm a sinful I'm a person, and I need to be changed. And then there's, in the New Testament, there's a rich young ruler where Jesus says, give it all away and follow me, and he goes away sad. So I think our only option in the local church is either we go away changed or we go away sad. Those are our only options, and so we need to experience, but not only inside the walls, but experience the power of being the church outside the walls, of getting a mission focus and and seeing there's needs. Like I said, this is the most need-caused generation this world has ever seen. And if we can help focus that and if we can give them avenues where they use that for God's kingdom, the things that are going to last, man, that will change everything. And so we're going to do this. We're, we're going to challenge ourselves to model this. And by modeling it, we're going to prepare the next generation. And it's not going to be easy, y'all. It's going to take work. And we're going to have to dig in. And we're going to have to push forward. I love it. David Platt, or before I get into the First Chronicles, David gives um, Solomon some advice. At the end of his life, David looks at Solomon and says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God your father. Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. It is our job to look at our next generation. These kids, these teens, these people that live all around here. And look at it. And says there is something that God wants you to do that's greater than I could ever have done. That you can accomplish more than I could ever dream of for God's kingdom. Now be strong and do it. That's what happens when we pass on faith. That's when we happens when we outlive and outlast our lives. Where it's passed on when people are sitting around and saying, man, I remember, man, the power of God in that person. I remember the power. They were praying people and taught me how to pray. And they taught me how to handle my finances to honor God. And they taught me how to do this and stuff. And that outlasts us because God has a call on everybody's lives. And there's something we need to do. But if we are not passing on our faith, if we're not passing on these values and these virtues, it will be left undone. And this church, like so many more churches, within five years will be gone. Because we haven't passed it on. I love it. David Platt. Here it is. David Platt, who wrote Radical. He's now the head of the International Mission Board. He says this Radical obedience to Christ is not easy, it's not comfort, not health, not wealth. And not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ. Risk losing all these things. But in the end. Such risk finds, it reward in, finds its reward in Christ. And he is more than enough for us. It is my goal in my life. At the end of my life. That I haven't left anything on the table. That I haven't left anything undone. And it's, it's not easy. Being radically obedient. Saying God I'm, I'm going to take risk. And, and, I, and I'm going to trust you with everything. From my finances to my family. I'm going to trust you with it all. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to model this. I'm going to live it out in such a way God. That your kingdom grows. Because everywhere I've been on this planet. I've been all over Europe and all of stuff. All I see is old castles and old ruins. That are all falling apart. Every other kingdom has fallen and unfortunately, one day this kingdom of the United States will fall also. There's one kingdom that is going to last forever. Why not invest in God's kingdom? That's, that's where everything changes. But we have to choose readiness over happiness. And so this morning, I want to give us a chance to respond to that. As we continue to just dive in this in the coming weeks, I, w- I want you to think about: Are there things in your life that you've chosen happiness over being ready? Are there areas in your life where God has says, "Listen, I want you to invest in this," and, and you have sat back and said, "No, I'm not going to." You know, maybe that starts with as the psalmist began in, in Psalm 121. It starts with just a person that acknowledges who God is in their life. Maybe that's the beginning place for you. That's a great place to start. But maybe it's also in your families. You've got to sit down over the coming weeks and say, listen, we've got to set goals. And we've got to say our lives and everything in it is going to reflect God's kingdom. Because we want to outlast our lives. We want to see it in our kids and their kids and their kids. And we want to see it just grow and grow and grow. We want to see this church prosper and grow and grow and grow. We want to see God's kingdom change everything. Whatever it is this morning that God is calling you to do, God is dealing you with, I just, I just encourage you, deal with it now. Don't leave sad. Leave changed. Like I said, there's there's the prayer area. It's always open for you. There's communion in there. Again, if you want to worship God and respond to God through tithes and offerings, the offering box is back there. But whatever's going on, let God have His way and let's start this work. Let the legacy of our lives and our faith begin today. And let's see what God does with it. Let's pray.